Hello everyone, welcome to Nice Today FC. I'm Josh Taylor, and for today's episode, we have an interview. As our special guest, he is the vice chairman and minority owner for Flower City Union, Mark Washoe. And as I mentioned on social media, this interview will be split in two parts. So for part one for this episode, Mark shares with us his background in soccer and how he fell in love with the beautiful game. He also gives us insight on how Flower City Union was formed and why it meant a lot to him to bring a new team to his hometown in Rochester. So here it is, part one of my interview with Mark Washoe. All right, well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nice of the Day FC podcast. I'm Josh Taylor, and joining me today for our interview is the vice chairman and minority owner for Flower City Union, and he is also the managing director and chief marketing officer for the club, and his name is Mark Washoe. Mark, thanks for joining me on the show today. Josh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it and looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. Now, Mark, I know it's been a busy weekend for you guys up in Rochester. Uh, it was a thrilling game we saw this past week between Albion and Flower City Union. Just talk about watching the, that game, how you felt about your team's performance. Yeah, well, to your point, I mean, it was an exciting match uh, for us this past Saturday at the downtown Rochester Sports Complex. And um, we, uh, in some ways, yeah, we, we drew. We had our first official league draw. Um, but it felt like a little bit of a win for us just because we were kind of trailing the entire match. Uh, guys battled back uh, to tie it. Then we went down a goal again. And then we tied it, uh, you know, really late. Um, also, I think after the 80th minute of some sort. So it felt like uh, it was it was almost a win. Um, it was a great uh, crowd that we had towards the uh, second half. We had a little bit of a late arriving crowd this past weekend for some reason. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was it was it was a good good feeling. I think the the, the club feels like we can build a little momentum from here. And, um, yeah, we had, we, we faced a tough opponent too, you know, so we, uh, yeah, we, overall, we were pleased with the, with the result from the weekend for sure. Yep. Flower City Union now in the second half of the season, you guys have played 15 games, the most games <laughs> in the league so far. Uh, how has your coach Colton Bly have handled that? Yeah, we've, we've had a little bit of a challenging schedule, uh, for sure. It's been pretty front loaded. And uh, we've, we were actually kind of talking amongst ourselves the other day, and we had a lot of games up here in the Northeast, up in Rochester. And, uh, again, it wasn't uh, you know optimal because the weather really doesn't break around here until we kind of start hitting the, the June time frame like we are kind of right now. And we played a lot of matches, not only at home. Uh, we had a U.S. Open Cup uh, you know run where, where we faced D.C. United, which was my former, former, former club. But... Um, you know, that was exciting, and then we had a long uh, West Coast trip. So, yeah, the, the guys, uh, actually, this week, uh, they actually, we gave, we gave the whole team off because we actually have a little, little mini break here 
before we play again up in Michigan uh, around Fourth of July weekend. So, uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a it's been a tough road uh, just from you know, scheduling perspective and lots of matches in a very short amount of time. But so far, uh, the club's held up pretty well. The team is performing, um, you know, like anything, soccer is like one of those sports, you know, it takes a while, the, the club has to gel, players have to be around each other, um, we did have a coaching change uh, about a month or so back, and, you know, a little bit of a new system that the guys are getting used to, but all in, um, sitting here where we are, uh, with a lot of games already played, uh, we're, we're, we're okay, you know, we're still in the, in the, in the hunt, as the saying goes, so uh, that, that part's really exciting, and um, like I said, Guys are enjoying a little bit of time off this week before we get back at it uh, next weekend. Now, Mark, let's get into your background of soccer. How did you get involved in the beautiful game? Well, it's interesting because I was watching everything that happened last week when um, they announced the host cities for the 2026 World Cup, which, uh, as you know, and hopefully all your listeners know, is coming back here to North America and I'm an, I guess I'm a little bit of an old schooler because I go all the way back to the 1994 World Cup that was here in America. And I was just getting started in my career and I uh, was actually working for Budget Rent-A-Car of all things. I was in sports for a little while and then I was out of sports. I, was, I worked for the NBA and, uh, with, with the Washington Bullets, which is now the Wizards. And then also um, used to work for Bison Baseball up here in Western New York. But um, we were the 1994 official rental car partner of the World Cup. And I honestly didn't know much about soccer other than maybe going to a Lancers game or two when I was a kid up here in Rochester, this is where I grew up. And um, I remember getting, uh, we, we got all these match tickets, and I was in charge of the embassy market in D.C., and, you know, all of a sudden I became like the most popular guy in, in the whole D.C. area. Every embassy uh, in D.C. started calling me for soccer tickets. And um, I remember just, just walking into the very first match uh, at RFK Stadium, which is a classic soccer stadium where D.C. United got started, and just being blown away by the pageantry, flags waving, smoke bombs going off, chants, uh, just... I've never seen anything like it, quite frankly. I mean, I've been to a lot of sporting events in my life and career. And uh, right around that time, uh, right in the wake of the World Cup, uh, it was just mass. I mean, for about a month and a half, that's all anything was. That's all anything that was happening in DC was 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 World Cup and soccer, and you couldn't go into a sports pub and, and not see all the flags and banners. But um, you know, right around that time, Major League Soccer launched, and I was fortunate to. I think I was technically the fifth or sixth employee of DC United. So I got in uh, the ground floor of uh, of MLS. Uh, right from the very beginning, and have uh, pretty much enjoyed a uh, long-standing career up until this point, both uh, MLS and then also uh, was with uh, WPS Club for a couple of years with the Washington Freedom, and we then launched NWSL Washington Spirit, and I was part of uh, the Spirits beginning, and uh, Rhinos, and then kind of leading to Flower City Union, so I guess it's almost going on 30 years now, um, but it really started all the way back in 1994 when the World Cup came here and just getting exposed to soccer at the highest level. And, um, you know, I already had a sports background and just uh, as, as the league grew and new stadiums came and new owners came in, just opportunities presented themselves for me to be able to stay uh, in the game. Um, so, uh that's as quick as I could tell that story, <laughs> I guess. But um, that's kind of where it started, all the way back to the 1994 World Cup for me. That's great to hear, Mark. And I think a lot of people I've talked to 
it's always a, a World Cup that kind of gets them into soccer. When I interviewed Brian Sykes, who's the co-founder and vice president for um, the Savannah Clovers FC, who will be joining NISA next year, he also mentioned about a World Cup. I think for him, he said it was a 2006 World Cup that sure. kind of got him into soccer. And I kind of shared with him, for me, it was the 2002 World Cup, watching the USA go on their run, beating Mexico in the round of 16, getting to play Germany in the quarterfinals and nearly lost that game. And I know at that time I was in middle school, about to go to start high school. So um, I had nothing going on this summer, that summer. So I was up late in the morning, at 2 in the morning in Texas watching these games. But I think for a lot of people, the World Cup, bringing it around is how people got in soccer. And with the 2026 World Cup coming to North America in Canada, the U.S., and Mexico, it's going to be a big deal changing. Like we saw the 1994 World Cup, how that built MLS and how it's going now and seeing what 2026 will bring to the region of North America moving forward. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because uh, you have a valid point uh, because I've been, I guess, privileged in many ways to kind of be involved with the game. And I haven't always been, you know, in soccer all congruently for 30 years. I mean, there's been times when I've been out of it for a little bit and then somehow always seem to kind of get back in. But um, I've been able to see the, the four-year World Cup uh, cycle. And uh, it is amazing to me, like, way back in, you know, whether it be 94, even though it was an American, it became a big deal, but then you look at all some of the World Cups in between and some of the ones you, you mentioned, you know, I remember going to sports bars and there'd be like literally 30 or 40 people, you know, watching a match. And now you go and there's 4,000 people jamming a street, you know, in like downtown Chicago or in, you know, one of the parks downtown, right? Um, it, it's just amazing how much it has grown. I actually remember that Germany game that you referenced, uh, you know, we were all going to go down to the ESPN Center, uh, Sports Center, to kind of watch the match, and I remember turning the corner, and I saw these people waiting in line, I'm like, what the heck's going, like, what are these people in line for, and I realized they were all there to watch the, you know, the U.S. national team uh, in the in the in in that match, and I was like, wow, wow, soccer's, you know, you just see it, you know, you see it build, you see it grow, and there's no doubt that, that the U.S. Uh, national team's performance has propelled MLS to this point. And, of course, the women's national team, too. I mean, you know, what they've been able to accomplish has also really propelled the sport. And you look at what NWSL is today, um, it's all because of those World Cup cycles. And that's why when the U.S. missed it last go-around, you know, it takes a little bit of a mini-step back, unfortunately. So it's good that uh, we've qualified for this one this fall. Uh, I hope they can do well and make a nice run. And there's a huge lift. And then in 2026, I think it's just truly going to be off the charts. I mean, if soccer was ever at a tipping point, then it's going to tip. Uh, it'll tip big time. And, and it'll once and for all just people will stop talking about when is America going to love soccer. I mean, it, it, it's already arrived in so many ways. And uh, to me, it's, I don't think if you're not paying attention, then you're, you're going to not be able to not notice, <laughs> you know, when that rolls around in 26. Yeah, well, I find it interesting watching the game. Of course, I was born in Germany and lived there five years because my parents were in the military. But seeing soccer, as they call it, over there, and then uh, coming here to America and watching soccer just skyrocket, as you mentioned, a lot of fans going to bars watching these games. And now that on television, so much soccer now from Premier League, Bundesliga, MLS, you name it, it's, it's everywhere now. And when I was working the Cubs game this weekend, Greg Berhalter was actually at Wrigley Field. And uh, he tossed the first pitch 
for the game against the Cubs. And then uh, he also sang the Take Me Out to the Ball game near the seventh inning stretch. So when he was out there, he was like, America's back in the World Cup. You all excited? <laughs> so he was getting the Cubs fans all fired up. So it was hilarious. So, yeah, seeing soccer, how far it's grown, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, you know, just real quick on that comment, when, you know, it's amazing because we look back and guys like myself and a lot of people that were part of the early days of Major League Soccer, we literally would sit in, you know, conference rooms and all-star games business retreats and we talk about imagine when all these youth soccer kids grow up start having discretionary income of their own start having kids of their own and instead of going to baseball games they're taking their kids to soccer games imagine if we actually had soccer specific stadiums because back when mls launched we were mostly playing in nfl stadiums and otherwise and and to see it actually all kind of come to fruition and you see like a Charlotte uh, FC club launch and, you know, biggest crowd they've ever had in their stadium. Uh, you know, you see what's going on in Atlanta United. Uh, I mean, pick a city these days, right? It's just, um, we wouldn't, I mean, it was, it was we, we literally were dreaming about it. We were literally talking about it. And, and, and I think a lot of us didn't even know if it was honestly going to come true. It was all speculation and what if, you know, and to just sit here and fast forward and see it all, uh, it's just pretty amazing. And um, and it's still on a growth trajectory, which is even more impressive. Like, soccer can still grow in this country. And it's, uh, yeah, and again, that World Cup cycle helps greatly. So definitely looking forward to this fall and uh, hope the U.S. team can, can make some noise, you know. Yeah, I hope so, too. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Now, Mark, you mentioned earlier in our conversation about your work experience with soccer clubs such as DC United, the New York Metro Stars, which are now the New York Red Bulls, Chicago Fire, and the Rochester Rhinos, which is now Rochester, New York FC. Can you talk about your experience working for those clubs and how that's helped you uh, make an impact for Flower City Union this year? Yeah, um, no, that's a good question. I uh, appreciate uh, referencing the clubs I've been involved with. Uh, and again, I don't want to dismiss the Washington Freedom and the Spirit either because uh, I've got just some of my greatest uh, professional experiences were with on the women's side as well. And um, But no, you know, it's like anything. You, 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 pick up, uh, you pick up little things as you go. Um, you know, for me, DC United was the beginning. Uh, we were so fortunate back then because we, we literally had the former Washington Redskins training facility. And, uh, you know, they had moved out, moved to a new facility. We moved in after they had won the Super Bowl, by the way. And then we went in there and won the MLS Cup, which was which was pretty cool. You know, there's a turf field in the back, grass field in the back, full locker room, weight room. Like, it was a legitimate professional soccer complex. And we always kind of felt like back then it was us against the world. Um, we had an incredible leader in a guy like Kevin Payne, who I've actually reconnected with a little bit recently, and Bruce Serena was our head coach. And, you know, that, that to me was the most special, the most, um, I still have lifelong relationships from that experience. And everywhere I've gone since, uh, each of them have a different experience where you, uh, it's really the relationships that you make, um, not only in the front office, but with the players. And in some instances, you know, we were close to the players. In other instances, not as much. Um, like in, in New York, for example, it was kind of tough because the team literally trained uh, at a, you know, 25 miles away from our front office. And, 
you know, obviously we would come together for match days and stuff. And um, you, you really just take this, this pieces from each experience, from uh, each uh, leadership group. Uh, I was also fortunate to be part of Anschutz Entertainment Group, which is a worldwide massive company. And, you know, just, just best practices uh, all the time and uh, business retreats that we were fortunate to, to go on. Um, and, you know, so you just try to, draw from the best and you know but each experience is also a little different i mean flower city union uh in a nisa league upstart division three you know lower levels uh, professional club you know we just you, you you learn how to do more with less and we don't have the big resources i look back at chicago fire for example and not only do we have a huge front office and a huge staff we also had a you know stadium that was operated by a, a third party, uh, even though we had the, the commercial rights to it, and just a just a whole different set of experiences. You know, you, you have the AEG resources behind you, and it's amazing. You could do so much more, you know, in a, in a shorter amount of time than when you come down to the level that we're at at this moment. But you still try to do the best practices. You still try to implement the best ideas. It helps you fast track things, you know. Some, you know, hey, been there, done that, tried that. Probably is not going to work. Or, hey, why don't we think about this idea? Um, you know, let's not spend two hours debating. Let's because you know you kind of know what works and doesn't at a certain point. Um, but again, each experience is unique. Each experience is different. Uh, you just try to draw from the best uh, of the best, and then. Um, implement what you can and um, also be realistic about the things you you can't do i'm like sometimes before you can do the 3.0 stuff you just gotta you gotta make sure you're doing the 1.0 stuff really well <laughs> you know and especially at this level once again and um sometimes that's a little tricky and frustrating too because because you know in your mind what you want to get to and you know where you want to be and you just gotta you gotta be realistic about you know the current situation that you're in so um but yeah all those experiences are unique it, it drew from all of them uh, again, both on the technical side, players, and obviously, you know, front office as well. Now, Mark, you mentioned that you are a Rochester native. So talk about the growth of soccer in Western New York. Now, I know they've had a few clubs in that area that have had success, such as FC Buffalo. You mentioned uh, the Rochester Lancers. Of course, we can't forget about the Rochester Rhinos, a team you used to work for. They're the only lower division team to win the U.S. Open Cup. And, of course, I don't want to forget about the Western New York Flash, the only women's team to win four championships in four different leagues, including their last title winning the 2016 NWL Championship before they moved to North Carolina and became the North Carolina Courage. So just talk about, from your perspective, seeing soccer grown in Western New York. Yeah, no, I mean, great question. Um, and again, growing up here and being from here originally, uh, my brothers all played soccer. I mean, this is a this is a high school hotbed for soccer, and a lot of times the the, the teams from here do extremely well in the states, and you know, always always represent uh, the area well. I mean, you had mentioned. I mean, the Lancers are part of probably one of the most historic clubs. Um, you know, in, in all of, all of professional soccer way back, uh, Michael Lewis was just here promoting the book that he wrote. Um, you know, so the, so the roots go deep, the roots even go deeper than that, you know, way back to the ethnic, uh, amateur clubs that, that were here in Rochester, much like, you know, Kearney, New Jersey, where sometimes, you know, a community like that gets some hype, but, but really, if you look all the way back in Rochester, the, those amateur roots are there. And, um, you know, I remember as a kid, I didn't live here, um, anymore, but. 
just coming back when the rhinos, uh, you know, were down at Frontier and kind of during the quote-unquote heyday of the rhinos, you know, truly a community feeling. Uh, everybody kind of seemed to know everybody. It was just a great atmosphere uh, down there. Uh, to your point, the U.S. Open Cup run, I was actually working for D.C. United when that happened and, you know, secretly being proud of um, – what the Rhinos were doing, and even though I wanted DC United to win, you know, secretly saying, well, if we don't, it's cool that Rochester is doing what they're doing. I mean, the first soccer town, USA, you know, moniker got tagged to, to this part of the, you know, this city and this part of the country. It is interesting that Buffalo hasn't been able to, um, their biggest obstacle for Buffalo is really just trying to find a, a facility and a stadium. I think I think they'd be a great soccer town. Um, you know, they, 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 they support all their sports team, you know. So um, it really is growing. I mean, obviously we have Syracuse Pulse here now with Nisa uh, up and down that I-90 corridor. So it's a hotbed for soccer. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to come back uh, kind of towards the back end of my career, uh, you know, being able to kind of come back to your hometown almost 25, 26 years later and, and just taking those experiences and bringing it, you know, back to the, the town where I grew up in and, you know, loved uh, being, being here. So there's, there's great potential here. Um, to your point, Western New York is growing in soccer, but in some ways it's also a little bit behind the times quite, quite candidly. And, I think if you get if you look at what's going around on around the country and the challenges that professional clubs have had here, um, I, there's certainly some catching up to do. I think as it relates to how the community kind of embraces clubs like Flower City Union and, and otherwise. But um, but overall, I mean, the tradition is here, the history is here, and the interest is still here. It's just a matter of uh, of turning it on. You know, um, that that that's really it. So. Yeah, we, we, we couldn't be in a place uh, better as it relates to the history and uh, the tradition that, that exists up here in Western New York. You mentioned challenges of starting teams up in Western New York. What role did you play behind the scenes to help bring in a new club to Rochester, New York, a place that hadn't had pro soccer since 2017? Well, I really kind of was one of the main catalysts, I suppose, to bringing this Flower City Union concept to life. Uh, to your point, I was living and breathing it back in 2016 and 2017. I saw the growth that we had uh, both on and off the field, uh, in particular off the field, uh, by all the business metrics. Um, you know, even though there was there were a lot of narratives that were being shared out there, and I didn't always agree with the narratives that were being shared, nor did I think that it was kind of you know, position or, or publicly, the perception was we were kind of the sinking ship, you know, that we were going backwards. And in all reality is we were actually going forward. I mean, again, every business metric from tickets to sponsorship to in-game activation, uh, you know, sponsors that were coming out, um, like it was, it was, it was a different a feel in 2017. Uh, crowds started coming back. People started having a lot of fun at our games. Um, you know, and then I felt like just like when we kind of started building that momentum, you know, the the rug kind of got pulled away from it. Uh, so I was kind of uh, always wanted to, you know, it's kind of one of the reasons why I moved back to Rochester. And, of course, there's a lot of times when you think about throwing in the towel and saying, hey, maybe maybe it doesn't, you know, it's not going to happen here. But then when, when leagues like NISA started forming and the capital requirements weren't as uh, high as uh, maybe some of the other leagues, you know, I really just started kicking tires and, and, you know, I had this little business plan in my briefcase for, for a lot of years, you know, knocking a lot of doors, talking to a lot of 
potential owners. Um, you know, then, then along the way, uh, obviously the pandemic hits with COVID and, you know, things got even, you know, more challenging for, for leagues like NISA and for startup clubs. But, um, you know, right around the uh, end of 2020 and into early 21, we, we had a little bit of the kind of perfect storm. Uh, we had started talking with St. John Fisher, who were launching a sport management master's program, uh, a graduate program. There's a, a professor there named Todd Harrison that kind of had a similar business plan in his briefcase as well, that uh, he was shopping around. Uh, the school and, and also in the community, uh, we had a, we had some alignment with some youth partners. We we had found a primary club owner, and we kind of felt like we had uh, the right kind of you know pieces of the puzzle uh, to go forward and 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 launch uh, Flower City Union. So it was two, easily three years in the making. Again, pandemic slowed things down, uh, a lot of twists and turns uh, along the way. But, um, again, because of St. John Fisher and the resources that they were able to bring with their uh, graduate assistant program, uh, and then, like I said, we, we had some other elements kind of come together. And meanwhile, the city stadium was sitting there vacant. I mean, every, every NISA club that comes to our stadium, and, and the USL clubs too, you know, they take a look around that building and they say, wow, this is a really great soccer facility. And a lot of uh, communities are envious of um, – what sits right downtown Rochester, New York here, um, you know, the sweet level state of the art, it's, uh, like any, any building, you know, it needs, you know, as it gets older, you gotta, you gotta give it some TLC, but, uh, but yeah, we have, we have a great soccer facility. And, and again, we, you'd already mentioned the community and the history here. So we just kind of had the perfect storm. And, um, so I guess I was one of the, I was one of the players, one of the catalysts to bring this together, but, as you know, you, no one person or, or you know can do this on their own. You, you need help uh, from the community, from from investors, from you know you gotta gotta raise the appropriate capital, and all, all that stuff takes time. And um, I, I guess I was kind of right at the middle of all of it for this for this experience right now. Yeah, when I used to work for Chicago House AC last year, we went through that similar experience too when we played our games over at SeatGeek Stadium in Bridgeview. As yes. you know from your time working with Chicago Fire a while back, and uh, we had that kind of awe moment too when the away teams would come visit our stadium, and they're like, "Wow, it's a great facility, and they got locker rooms and this and that." Because you've seen from a lot of these teams, some play in high school stadiums, some play in small colleges, but when you get an opportunity to play in a soccer-specific stadium, it makes a big difference. Yeah, it was interesting. When I first got hired by Chicago Fire, I flew into Midway, and the first stop we made was going to that Bridgeview site, and it was literally just a pit in the ground. Like, it was a hole in the ground dug with a whole bunch of dirt and a whole bunch of heavy equipment there, and it's amazing how quickly uh, they can build these stadiums now, and you know, then we got to a point where we started doing the hard hat tours and climbing up ladders to what would be the suite level. And to just be part of the the launch of that stadium, and you know, we had the all the MLS All Star Game there, where Chelsea was one of the first events ever at that stadium, and um, it is a beautiful, awesome soccer specific stadium, like you said. And I was happy that um, Chicago House had the chance to play there, and uh, who knows? Hopefully, maybe they'll they'll reorganize and, and get back there. But yeah, it makes a big difference, right? Just the the atmosphere that you can create the. You know, even having access to a suite level and the party decks that that stadium has really just just makes a big difference when trying to create that soccer atmosphere. And we are fortunate that that does exist here in Rochester as well. Um, 
even though, of course, you know, Rochester never got to Major League Soccer level, but um, it's it's still a pretty darn good stadium. Now, you mentioned about Fire City Union and how they try to differentiate themselves. You mentioned about the partnership with St. John's Fisher College, and I know you Fire City Union has also looked into or did bring in uh, fan ownership into the organization. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. I mean, right from the get, right from the beginning, we wanted to be a. Uh, we did. We wanted to differentiate from the other clubs that have been here or are here. Uh, the tagline "Rooted in Rochester" uh, came up uh, almost organically. Uh, if you if you watch our brand launch video, it's only two minutes and twenty seconds, and I actually watched it before you and I jumped on the on the on the call today. But um, uh, you know, we we just wanted to be uh, from the community. We, we had almost three or four months of focus groups and Zoom calls and chats with uh, people from the soccer world, from the business community, from nonprofits, uh, in inner city uh, organizations. We truly wanted to be a club of the people, from the people, and, uh, you know, an extension of that. So, so just ingrained in the name Flower City Union, like we just didn't have three or four people sit in a in a boardroom somewhere and just come up with the name and, and the logo. It was all from the community and feedback we received. And then in addition to that, you know, if you look around also what's, what's happening in soccer around, not only in America, but around the world, especially at the lower division here in America, uh, fan ownership um, is something that, that is speaks to the same, the same concept and the same idea that, you know, we're going to also have fan owners and they're going to be part of uh our organization and part of us growing and uh, part of coming to launch parties and, you know, may hopefully, you know, when we get to make big strategic decisions in the future around the club, uh, they have representation and have a voice. And um, look, the, the, the audience that we have right now that are participating uh, have been fantastic. They, they, they help us. They try to bring people to matches. They call us all the time with ideas they help support and buy our merchandise and, and buy merchandise for other people that they send it to. It's been a really cool extension of our brand. And again, it speaks to our mission and our vision and kind of how we want to be this club, you know, from the community of the people and, and having fan ownership is, is really just an extension of that. And so far we've been really happy that um, we've been able to launch it and it's been very well received so far. So, uh, yeah, it's been it's been going well, and it, I think that's kind of where where it all came from, and just trying to really kind of speak and live to our vision and mission of the club. Now, Mark, we've seen Flower Senior Union not just be active on the field, but also off the field with some of their community service initiatives, such as support Gullistano Children's Hospital. Uh, you guys also did the Stand with Buffalo Food Drive last month after what happened in Buffalo with the tragic shootings that happened there last month, helping your Western New York neighbors out. Why is giving back to the community so important to the club's mission? It's because it's just something that only a professional club can do. And a professional club can bring people together. Uh, it can bring people together for a common cause and a vision. And uh, again, we're all the way back to like, you know, my DC United days, for example, we that we had the same mentality, the same idea that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give back and not always look to receive in return, uh, because it's just it's just part of being a good community citizen. It's part of being in the fabric of a community. Uh, 
you know, we wish we can do more and hopefully as our club can build and grow and we have more resources, then we can do more. And we also have to be realistic. I mean, at the, you know, at the core, it's a professional soccer and sport organization. So, you know, we, we can't solve everything and, and help with all the issues and problems, but you could certainly be a catalyst. And because of the public, uh, you know, persona of the players and the club itself and the idea that, you know, media will come. So, for example, when we did the Buffalo food drive uh, for the victims of the tragic Buffalo shooting, um, you know, the, the, the media came and, and covered it and helped us spread the word. And uh, same thing with the Galasano's Children's Hospital work that, that walk that we support. You know, we're like, we're, we're in a position where we can do these things. And we're in a position where if we do them, then we're going to get eyeballs on it. We're going to get people hopefully paying a little more attention to us. And it's just, again, part of the DNA of the club, part of the mission of the club. And it's something that we want to continue to do and try to do more of. And that also you know, talk, uh, relates to talking with our city and trying to get a little more uh, ingrained with what they're trying to do in this community as well. And uh, again, we can't solve all the problems and issues, but we can certainly play a part. And uh, we just think it's really important and kind of what, what the whole idea of the club is anyway. I mean, yeah, we want to win soccer games. We want it to be a great experience when you come to the matches and celebrate waving flags and um we, we have a lot of people that like to uh, blow off the, the purple smoke bombs now <laughs> at our games bang the drum it's all part of it and then celebrate by the way fans get to go on the field with our players after the match and celebrate if we win or lose or draw but um but but ultimately we, we want to be an extension and being part of the community super important and it's really important to the future of the club All right, everyone, and that will conclude this edition of Mesa Day FC Podcast. If you have any suggestions, comments, or feedback, you can direct message me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at JT underscore Taylor 88. And if you want to follow all the latest updates on the show, what's going on in Nisa or Nisa Nation, you can follow us on our social media pages. We're on Facebook at Nisa Today FC. And we're also on Twitter at Nisa underscore Today FC and on Instagram at Nisa underscore Today FC. I got more exciting content coming up for you guys later this week. So stay tuned on that. But until then, I'll see you next time.